Coming up next on the Jeff Crilly Show, you're going to meet the owner of Stanley Korshak, the great Crawford Brock is in the house. His incredible journey just ahead. Many are predicting that the worst is yet to come, which is unfortunate, said one person here. Until now, they've enjoyed the reputation of being the nation's icebox. Watched a burglar in his home this morning by webcam. As a journalist of over 25 years, stories are what make my world turn. Reporting live from the Dallas Newsroom tonight, Jeff Crilly, Fox 4 News. But in 2008, I took the jump from my familiar life and started a PR firm from my home. We're talking about anyone with a camcorder like the one I'm using becomes a television network. We started slowly growing the company and we now have over a hundred clients and we've branched into the world of live digital broadcasting. I now own eight different TV studios and have a huge team. And the stories that I now get to share are sometimes the most important of my life. Life has a funny way of coming around full circle. This is the Jeff Crilly Show. Well, I can't think of a more iconic brand when you think about luxury in Dallas than Stanley Korshak. And so a good friend of mine is uh, Chuck Steelman, and he was on my show recently, and he says, you know who you need to meet? You need to meet the owner. Crawford Brock is in the house. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Thanks well, for including me. The most impressive thing that I've heard, and we did a little uh, you know, pregame interview, um, you did not grow up around luxury. You, you grew no. up in Rome, Georgia. That's correct. What was the highest end store in Rome, Georgia? <laughs> you know, I think it was called Esserman's. And it was a men's store. And I think my mother took me down there and get a blazer. I went to this boys' school that we had a navy blazer, gray slack uniform, white button-down shirt, still got it on. And so that's as high as it got. All right, so how did a guy like you from Rome, Georgia, go from that to kind of the king of luxury in Dallas? Uh, great story. I, it, in uh, business school, I took a um, lot of classes. One, we, you know, we did case studies, you know, as you're doing things. And one of them was uh, this book called The Paths to Profits. And it was uh, Neiman Marcus, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Coca-Cola. And it was my you know, last year of school. And uh, I wrote letters to uh, those companies about potential job. And it was about their success stories, you know. And so I heard from the Neiman's people, and there was a guy who traveled around, and he interviewed me, and um, I was offered a job. So I ended up moving to Texas. Okay, what was your first job at Neiman's? Um, well, it was through their executive development program. It started in August. And I remember when I arrived in Texas, you know, the big blue sky, it was 100 degrees. I mean, I thought I was on vacation. And so I was very excited to be here. And I'm thinking, God, and you're going to pay me too, so I'm... Coming to Neiman's and uh, here in Dallas, and it was just a great move, and it's been a, a nice start. Okay, well, do you remember meeting the great Stanley Marcus for the first time? I do. Um, you know, it was uh, the whole experience was amazing. I was placed as an assistant buyer on the men's side, uh, and then after a year, they sent me to Washington, D.C. I was there for 18 months managing uh, half the first floor, and I was very young, 24 maybe. And... Um, was brought back as the men's clothing buyer. And um, I, I remember we were opening up the San Diego store. So I was one of the representative buyers to go out and talk to the staff and, um, and give them kind of a culture talk. And I was now 28. And um, my wife was a college tennis player, um, actually a top 10 junior, real good, has won the nationals twice. 
and much better than I am. And so we were playing, we stayed at the La Jolla Beach and Tennis Club, and she um, and I were hit, hitting, she's left-handed, so we're hitting forehands down the line and backhands down the line. Phil Miller, the CEO for Neiman's, walks by, and it, it was early in the morning, and sees us playing, says, well, Crawford, I didn't know you played tennis. You know, my wife and I play. You want to play tonight? And I went, okay. Well, quickly, it was he and I against the girls because the other way wasn't going to work with Janet and I playing them. And so he said, well, let's play tomorrow. So we played the next three mornings and, um, and kind of got to know each other. I go back to Dallas. He calls me up to his office and said, really enjoyed getting to know you, Crawford. And uh, we've got some issues in the Beverly Hills store. And uh, I want you to, you know, go out and, I'm, and, and, you know, move out there. And I'm like... You know, you're talking to the CEO, what do you say? And well, I, I you know, would prefer to stay here in Dallas. We love, you know, I went on downtown or North Park, if it, or even Houston, but we, we've got a lot of friends here and we'd prefer to stay here. And his line was, well, if you're on the fence, I want you to go. So you're going. And so I ended up moving out to Beverly Hills. And, you know, that that moment, the Dallas program was big in Hollywood and, you know, Beverly Hills was exploding. Everybody was moving there, and it was just a great wave to catch. I was so lucky. And um, so we went from $28 million to $100 million, number one store in the company, beat out North Park and Houston, which are two mall stores. Learned so much in that experience with uh, the, you know, you had 80 buyers, uh, five or 10, uh, eight or 10 uh, divisionals that were over certain areas that you're talking to about the content. And the content in L.A. was nothing like any of the stores were carrying. The people in L.A. were traveling to Europe and they'd seen all these big brands. And um, part of the success was getting Dallas to understand who we were. And, and Phil Miller had my back as I made the first Armani buy for the men's side. And it exploded, as we thought. And um, I got a phone call in year five from a headhunter who... Um, represented Mrs. Hunt, Carolyn Rose Hunt, who'd built the Crescent. So you have the office tower, hotel, and retail complex. And they needed somebody to, to come help run that. And um, I turned it down. It was August of 87. Not for any reason. It, I just felt pretty safe where I was. Didn't know much about this program or who, what they had going on. Did a little bit of research. And um, they called me back in October and said, okay, you're it, um, Dallas Connection, Luxury Retail. Uh, we, um, what have we left off your bucket list? And I said, well, honestly, to leave the number one store in the company would have to be something like the opportunity to own, own a business. And of course, Ms. Hunt and her family could afford anything. And they said, the message came back, yeah, we can, we can make that happen. And I went, okay. So I came back to Dallas and um, was not really what I thought exactly. But it was October of 87. Dallas was going into a downturn with the oil business. And pretty much the staff that was there, honestly, I fired everybody except for one person. But I didn't do it initially. But I um, went back up to the CEO of their company right after the first board meeting. And they had consultants in there who were kind of taking their fees, but really not moving in the right direction, in my opinion. And so had 86, all of them. And um, it's now May of 88. And Neiman's has gone through a big buyout with General Cinema, And they came in and literally fired all the executives. 
and created a new board. Stanley Marcus wasn't on it. And I realized that in going up to the board meetings for six or eight that we'd had thus far that the family was um, really, you know, I'm talking sell-throughs and retail terms and this sort of thing. They're in the oil business and they had hotels, the, the resort, the Rosewood Resorts and Hotel business. And I remember we'd have these president meetings and there'd be a bar graph and the oil bar graph was going up like this and then the hotels is up here. And then I was in the all other and it was red <laughs> down below. And I you know, realized I've got to get this thing going or I'm going to be out on the streets. The good news is Neiman's had called me at least twice already. Like, what are you doing over there? Anyway, so uh, I um, called Stanley Marcus when he was not on the board anymore and said, I'm over here. And he knew me from L.A. because he'd come out at least once a quarter. And so we'd have lunch up in the Zodiac. And I uh, said, I need your help. Would you come help me? He said, I'll be there tomorrow. And he moved his office over. And so I had eight years of Stanley Marcus in my office, or I'm in his, no every kidding. day. Wow. And we traveled to New York several times. And you know, he was a Harvard Mensa, knew retail more than everybody, was a showman. We talked. I asked him every question was, why did you bring in Carter Holy Hill? I needed the money. We were expanding, but I still kept control. How do you build a business? Well, one brick at a time. Uh, and we talked about um, setting up the business in a direction. I remember he said, well, Crawford, um, <clears throat> who do you want to be? And I'm like, well, what do you mean who do I want to be? He said, well, do you want to be a discounter? And I went, well, no, sir. I, I don't know discounting. I, I mean, I came out of Beverly Hills. We were you know, more on the luxury side. Well, then you want to be a luxury retail. Then you want to carry jewelry and furs. Well, yes, sir. And that's how we started. So the, the trick that was working in LA, and I call it a trick, but it really wasn't just obvious. If you can have a defined real estate and you're generating so many dollars per square foot selling $100 items, the way you increase that sales per square foot is sell $1,000 items in the same space. And that's what we started doing out there. And so that formula translated to what Stanley and I were talking about. And so that began the program. And in his word, in his mind, it was quality. Quality is remembered long after price is forgotten. Mm. And every quote like that, and there's a hundred are in my head. I have a thousand letters in my office. I'd love to show you sometime from him. I'm going to write a book, but it's not going to be about so much about that as it is about some other cool things that we can talk about. But Absolutely. his, um, his, uh, knowledge of building if he could come back now and see here we are a 50 million dollar business and when he was around me we were doing two million losing two million and finally got to 22 million and um and our good friends downtown neiman started just decided that you know we were getting big enough now they were going to start cutting us off for lunch which i would have done the same thing as a buyer going into the market and say here's our million dollar order but don't sell Korshak. and so um he and I were talking about it one day, he walked in, so Crawford, what's in the way of you doing business? And I said, well, I'm starting to get blocked out of lines that, that uh, I can't get. And he said, well, like who? And I said, well, well like Donna Karen. He said, well, do you have her number? I said, their number? I said, well, yes, sir. It's in my Rolodex behind my desk. So <clears throat> he comes, sits at my desk. I go back, get the number out. I'm standing beside him, give him the number. He dials it. And this is Stanley Marcus for uh, Donna Karen. Is she available? Of course, she, if I'd called, they, <laughs> I would never hear back. But he did. She got on the phone and said, this is Stanley Marcus. I'm with this fine young man. He's the president of Stanley Korshak, and he'd like to carry your line. Well, we'd love to sell him. 
Well, let me put him on. Well, hello, Miss Karen. How are you? <laughs> I was 28. Okay, wow. and this is happening. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was 33. So I'm still kind of wow, this is happening. And she said, well, "Yeah, we'd love to sell you Crawford, but let me have my my sales director call you, who I knew, who'd been denying us." <clears throat> and he called me, and we got the line. And when I hung up the phone, I looked at Mr. Stanley, and we high fived. <laughs> Who else? So we started smiling and dialing, got everybody. And there began this great trend and explosive growth. And it was a wow. very cool thing to happen. Oh, especially for a young man from Rome, Georgia. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so I want to talk about the, the latest news is the big remodel. So tell us, yeah. uh, yeah. we're going to put some pictures on, on the screen so people can get a feel for what you've done. Uh, this was a major renovation, wasn't it? Right, right. You know, we. We, this is something I'd talked about and have wanted to do for a decade. And just to give you a little quick history, J.P. Morgan uh, owned the office and the retail complex. And the hotel was now, was owned by the, the Hunt family, but they sold it and John Goff bought it. Mm -hmm. So we, he was surrounded by J.P. Morgan's owning these offices in the retail complex. And so I'm now flying to New York, meeting with this young man who was by 28, who had gone to Harvard, gotten his MBA, and he knew everything. And, you know, I'm up there with Ignaz Gorsuch, who'd done all 42 of Neiman's stores and remodel. I'm with the, our divisional uh, VP and senior VP, vice president of Korshak, who was a great merchant had come out of Neiman's. And I'm with another lady who'd gotten her uh, undergraduate from Princeton and her graduate from Harvard, and she was running all our e-commerce social media so, I mean, I had some stellar people sitting in front of this guy and he was talking about turning the space into a food court and he was talking about uh, a bowling alley and I'm just shaking my head. I see John Goff at a funeral, thank God. And I said, John, look, uh, you know what's going to happen when Korshak turns into a, a food court and I move over to Highland Park Village or to Knox Henderson, uh, you know, you're going to have a mess on your hands because I put 500 rooms a night in your hotel and these are not just any people, these are designers from all over the world and very wealthy people flying in for staycation. And also a lot of the Highland Park parents that are staying here to go look at the school. And by the way, my daughter ended up going there. I've got three daughters, we can talk about that too later. Anyway, so with John buying now the, the retail and the office, they came back to me and said, well, what would you like to sign Crawford? What is your thinking? I said, well, I was on a 25-year lease. So they said, great. So they locked in a 25-year lease. So having a 25-year runway, now I can go spend the $5 million plus to go do all these great things. So we started down in Men's. And if you walk through Men's, it's a, it's a world-class, one-of-one um, men's stores in the world. There's nothing like it that leads off with Brunello Cuccinelli, who's one of my favorites. The largest Brunello men's space in the country. Speaking of that, we've got a picture. Uh, you get to hang around all these amazing <laughs> yeah. people, but you're so humble. I mean, I, well, I, a lot of people would get full of themselves and name drop, but I mean, you. I'm going to talk about that later too, because there's a reason. <laughs> but Brunello was he, what a story, and you know, he invited me to a, an award he got in New York, and. Um, you know, I flew up with two other retailers. There were no major brands there, but Donna Kieran had gotten, the, ironically, Donna Kieran got the same award. And she got up and thanked her, you know, her valet driver and her, her personal assistant. 
Brunello gets up and he doesn't speak English and his interpreter and he says, look, I grew up dirt poor. My father was a farmer. I was teased in school and I love clothes. And so as he became a billionaire and the hottest brand in the world, he you know, was given back to Solomeo and rebuilt the entire community and town and village and so forth. But we just hit it off right away. And, and that came because he was a soccer player. I played college soccer and he was a soccer player and he came into my office and his picture was behind my desk from this, this uh, invitation I'd received. Somebody took our picture there. And um, he um, saw the picture and he goes, well, Crawford, you, you played soccer. Which one are you? I said, that's me right there. Oh, you were number 10. I was number five. And so we started opening up and had, created this real bromance, you know, that sure. he was this cool guy and a uh, great family. And anyway, so we built the biggest men's Brunello Cuccinelli store, a men's store in, in the country with a bar and it's exploded business up 100%. Then we built an Isaiah space and we built a senior space. Then we built the, the, the Cuccinelli, excuse me, the uh, Keton space. And Keton is the finest brand in the world. Wow. And when I say that, I mean, it's the hours that go into making the garment is there's nothing close to it. And um, that is our $5 million business for us, and it's $18,000 suits. And um, then you've got Brioni, which is another huge brand, and you've got Attalini, Mr. Attalini and Mr. Keton, who's Chiro Paoni, worked together in the Keton factory, and he left and started his own business. Wow. And he did his business the way we did, one brick at a time, no marketing, just I, I sell nice things, I make nice things, and Attalini's also exploded for us. But the whole men's business has more than doubled in the last 18 months. It's been phenomenal, that, that part. Talk to me about the culture and the vibe, because obviously you sell the, the best of the best. Or tell me about the team, tell me about the feeling when you come in. Okay, great question. You know, um, you walk in, and I hear this literally daily, and I work six days, 10 hours. And, and only because I really, for the first time in 47 years, enjoy what I'm doing. I mean, I really, like the people I work with, I like where we are. I mean, it's our time as we've now signed this lease and doing all the construction and it's been very good. So I, I hear that they walk in and you look up at the space because it's two stories up. It's like nobody has a store like this. It's not a strip mall. It's not a, you know, a, just a store. It's something more than that. Art's hanging all over the place. There's a piece of art that we had commissioned by a lady here in town and she, um, Carlin Ray, I spent two years with Chihuly, and she has Italian pole glass. So this fixture is in the shape of DNA, and it curves around. It's 500 pounds, 600 pieces of Italian pole glass, and about 100 color shades, and it's who we are. Wow. Service, great people, lovely customers. And, you know, we're not a business of a lot of people that shop there by intent. We sell nice things and so it attracts nice people that can afford to buy and are not so intimidated by real crazy expensive things and consequently um we have you know as i call it a few people who spend a lot of money we have valet parking every day we have a a police officer in the store every day we have two undercover security people every day Everybody's packing. We have zero theft, external, internal. It just doesn't happen. Wow, it's a, it is. It's a very pleasant uh, environment. And I hear it every day from people. And, and they say the same thing. 
this is a beautiful store. I've never seen anything like it. And these are people coming out in New York and Europe. And by the way, your staff, and they start talking about how nice they are. And I'm, I'm going to back up and tell you one more story. Phil. Sure, please. Me. Okay. So I grew up in Rome. I went to a school called Darlington. Uh, there were, it was 25% day students and 75% boarding students. I was a day student. I brought the IQ of our family down. As I mentioned, my father was a <laughs> surgeon and my brothers and sisters are all doctors. And um, anyway, so in Rome, the, we had our English teacher was our soccer coach. Okay, our English teacher knew nothing about soccer. <laughs> and um, here he has these 1971, I'm 16. There was a common denominator with our class. We became this extraordinary class. Don't know why, 30 years later, and I'll tell you more about that. But the common denominator was that all our dads had been in World War II. And we were the first sons of these guys. And every one of my friends, it was their story. It didn't hit us until later as we become, we still became very close. And the closest thing I can relate it to is St. Mark's. Those are similar kind of fellas. And I've met a lot of the 71 grads when I came out and played flag or touch football behind the St. Mark's school. Anyway, so our English teacher read everything there was about soccer. And he, and he brought the magnetic board out and said this, and we're going to run this slope defense. We didn't know what he's talking about, but, you know, we believed him. Practices started. We're on the varsity field, and he throws Logan Cox off the field. Remember Logan? Yeah. Throws Logan off the field. And we're, like, stunned because Logan's a good student, but a tremendous athlete. He just threw the best athlete in the school off the field. What are you thinking? And uh, he knew exactly what he was doing. And what he wanted, and it's kind of like the miracle on ice, the hockey story, where this coach pulls all these kids together who came from different schools and didn't like each other, but he was going to feed the wolf or he'd blow the whistle again and again, and they're skating up and down, and they, they really got in shape, and, and they sort of started to get it, realized they were playing for the United States hockey team and not for, you know, UMass and the other places that they came from. That's what this coach did. He ran us to death. And, you know, we were all of these kids who just did what we were told. No ego, just yes, sir. And so we all got really fit. We believed in this slope defense that he made up. And we won every game in the state championship. And we came from behind in the finals to win it, which is another kind of book story. And we were the 71 Tigers. And I mentioned the name Logan because... I realized 30 years later, we all had a reunion with our English teacher, okay? And we reenacted the picture of this 11. And here's what happened. Five became doctors. Two went to the Naval Academy. Two took over their family businesses, of which one of them, they were baking honey buns. And it went, they, the boys came back from Chapel Hill and, and Davidson and um, took over the family business, and they went vertical. They bought all the flour mills, and the, new, the company, they renamed it um, Southeastern Mills, and it's a $1.8 billion company. These are just little Rome boys. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that would basically run your hearts out, never give up. And so 30 years later, I realized what he was doing, and what he was doing was these were Meacham kids. Have you ever read uh, Pat Conroy's book, The Great Santini? Yes. Okay, well... It was about a Navy aviator. He's moved his kids all over the country. They're now in Savannah. And he's got the kids lined up, and there was four of them, and it's the son and the daughter. And then I think the other daughter and then a son are kind of sitting there, and he's talking to them as though they're his platoon, like, or, you know, whatever Navy aviators call themselves. 
And he's saying that you guys are Meacham's because his name was Bull Meacham. And Meacham kids are the best athletes, they're the best students, they're thoroughbreds. Meacham kids chew rocks while other kids eat cotton candy. We were Meacham's. Mm. So if you work for me, you want to be a Meacham, which means that whatever it takes, no, no matter how, we're going to outwork everybody. And that's my culture, my nature is nobody will ever outwork me. You, and I want to hire people way better than I am. And that was something Stanley talked to me about. But the other side of Logan, Logan, who got kicked off the team, God bless him. When I saw him, he had put on a lot of weight. He was lazy. He was a superstar, but he was lazy. And, you know, I don't like lazy superstars. I don't know about you, but you can't work for me if you're a superstar and you're lazy. Love superstars, but not lazy ones. In fact, there's no one any lazy. So in our buyer meetings every morning, so we had one this morning at 10 that I missed, so somebody ran it for me, but you know, we talk about, are you a Meacham? Yeah, everybody in the building's a Meacham, but are you a Logan? Have you seen a Logan in the building? Is anybody in your area a Logan? Because I want to hunt them down. I know who you are. Wow. We have one. And I'm trying to culture through that, but you know, <laughs> Logans don't make it with us because they pull down everybody, you know? And when Logans get relieved of their duty, the morale goes up. Because everybody knows. You inspire me. That's, that's probably a book and a movie. Start <laughs> yeah. thinking about who they're going right. to uh, cast as you. Maybe a, yeah. a young Brad Pitt. So, <laughs> um, we've got a couple minutes left. So final thoughts. What would you like okay. to leave the audience with? Wow. Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I guess really the thing I'm thinking about is that, you know, I'm turning 70 next year. You look great. And I, um, I really, for the first time, enjoy what I'm doing. I mean, I really, I love coming to work every day. I think it's why I'm able to work 10 hour days and six days a week. I really like what I'm doing. And I like where I'm at with the people that work for me and the success that we're having. And, um, and I think it inspires me. And so I, you know, I've tried to commit to everyone there that I'm gonna work another 10. I don't know if I can make that, but I'm gonna certainly try. Stanley Marcus was with me and he was around 80. Is that right? Yeah, he was, yeah, he was, he was getting up there. And, but still, completely with it and very energized so well you inspire yeah. me i just turned 60 and, and, <laughs> You're and a I'm, kid. Telling, I'm telling you <laughs> you really inspire me um and i i think we've got a bunch of meachums here <laughs> right. yeah, so thank you so much yeah. for sharing your heart your story and uh we're going to end with the mm -hmm. website which is of course stanleycorshack.com the great crawford brock thanks for coming on the show yeah thank you thank that's you. it for now we'll okay. see you next time